Good morning, church. I want to encourage everybody, this is our first annual Team Emmanuel conference. And so if you sign up this year, years down the road, you get to say to your friends, I was there the first time. I was at the first one. I've been a part of that thing since the beginning. Team Emmanuel Conference is going to be fun. It's going to be educational, informational, inspirational. I'd encourage you, it's really easy to sign up out in the lobby today uh, at any of our campuses. And then also you can sign up online. It's, it's a really simple registration process. It's free and we're providing lunch. I knew I'd get some of you on that one. Well, today before we get into the word, we want to take our eyes and look at the world around us for a moment. Uh, and have a moment of prayer today as a church body. Yesterday, there were some crazy, sad things happening in the state of Virginia to the point where their governor had to declare a state of emergency. And I was talking with Pastor Nate last night, and he sent me this note that I'm just going to read to you on his behalf as he's not with us today. He said this, As I prepare to sleep tonight, I become aware of the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, the last 24 hours. I'm burdened for the people of our nation, not only because of the actions of hate-filled purveyors of ugly hell-birth racism. Sin kills, separates humanity from God and people from people. Sin also seeks to continue the mission of the enemy of our soul, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy us all. We need our eyes open to sin so that we can repent and change. I am more committed than ever to love God, love my neighbor, and pray for God to forgive our sin and heal our land, as we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14. When I see the events on the television screen of a distant state among people who I don't know, I could form opinions and point fingers to the neglect of loving the neighbor that I do know and that I do see. No, the appropriate response is to be burdened and pray for peace, mercy, and justice in Virginia, and to intentionally pray for my city and the people that God has desi designed for us to live around. I must seek to listen to the people I work with and live among. It is important for me to seek to listen before I speak, to walk humbly before my God, and to live for the change of heart that only God can bring. Just as the angel repeatedly told Daniel, do not be afraid. We will pursue the future boldly without fear, and I will ask for wisdom to pray and live as Jesus wants me to in our days of turmoil. Friends, when we see ugly things happening in society around us, it is not our position as a church that we run to Facebook. It's our position as a church that we run to get on our knees, humble ourselves before the Lord, call out to God Almighty and say, God, help us. And God has called us as a church to be barrier breakers, not barrier makers. So I want to encourage you, would you pray alongside of me as we pray for healing in our country today? <clears throat> Father, our hearts today are broken. God, as we look at what happens when the ugliness of humanity comes out, God, lives lived apart from you, sin-filled, racist hearts, God, I pray that you would make us a different people. God, I pray that you would use Emmanuel as an example of a way to show the way. God, I pray that you would 
put your hand over this church and this community. God, we pray for peace first and foremost for the area of Virginia, for Charlottesville, that there wouldn't be any more uprising, but there would be peace that would settle in that people wouldn't have an explanation for other than to look at, point their heads towards heaven and say, God has intervened. And God, we pray for the Minneapolis, St. Paul community. surrounding areas, Lord, we know that we're not immune to this sort of thing. God, we know that racism exists in our neighborhoods and in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would break racism in this area. God, that it would be broken, demolished, that we'd love one another, that we would see the image of God in our neighbors, that we would treat people with love. And remember that you have called us as a church to love everybody. God, I pray that you would be with us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As we were watching that connect group video, one of the guys pointed out to me that in that connect group alone, there are seven nations that are represented. Friends, let's keep going forward and setting the bar for our, our neighborhood, right? Let's go to the word. So today we are wrapping up our Daniel series. What that means for you today is we have to cover 12 chapters. We're gonna get it done. We're going to focus mostly on Daniel's chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. And when you go through Daniel chapter 11, I've read it, I don't know how many times in the last few weeks, thinking about this sermon today. And as you read through Daniel 11, it's just so interesting. It's, it's sometimes almost hard to read because what you see happening is this future that's being foretold. And in this future, there's these different kingdoms coming in and fighting for power, and I just put myself in the, the mindset of the people of that day and just going, hey, you know what? What we do here today is we get all wrapped up in a political leader, in a business leader, and somebody, and we're like, hey, this is the answer. This is how we're going to get through. This is, this is what we're going to wrap our whole lives around and support this, and then all of a sudden what happens is somebody from the other side wins or takes power, and all of a sudden we're going, oh, no, I'm destitute. Oh, what am I going to do? Daniel 11, you have this going back and forth where you have this king of the north that's going to come and he's going to take power. And then a minute later, the king of the south is going to come and take power. And then they're going to fight back and the king of the north is going to come back and take power again. Then then a different leader is going to come in and invade. And you have these kingdoms that rise up and these kingdoms that fall down. And there's lessons that can be learned from it. First and foremost is this. Earthly kingdoms, they're going to come and they are going to go. Every one of them is going to have a start date, and every one of them is going to have an end date. And one of the main reasons that they end is really, really simple, and it might surprise you, the simplicity of it. It's just simply pride. You see, the leaders in this day, they thought that they had the answers. They thought that they were clever. They thought through their schemes and their ways and and their minds that they could figure out a way to come to power and hold it forever. But what happens if you let the heart of man go unchecked is that pride wells up. And when pride wells up, all of a sudden, you start to look at the people around you and you don't see the image of God in them anymore, but you think that you yourself are a God and you're sitting on the throne of your own heart or your own life. And then when you look at others, they're less than you. And if somebody's less than you. You're not seeing the way that God has made them, created them. And so in these days, you have these kings that would rise up and you look at Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually the best example in scripture of the physical manifestation of pride lived out in a person. 
You see, when you get so full of yourself that you don't have any room for the Lord in your heart, is that you become like a beast of the field like Nebuchadnezzar did a few chapters back. And all of a sudden you act like an animal. You just follow your passions. You follow the lusts of your flesh and there's nothing to keep you in check. And so each of these kingdoms rose up and each one of them fell. It's really interesting. I'm going to go through to illustrate this point. We're going to go through the verses, and I'm going to need you all to be good as I read this because every one of these kingdoms, they had their scheme, they had their thought, they had their way, they thought they could do it on their own, and then they're in the scriptures, and every single one of them, this single word appears, but when we try to go about life on our own, we can do it, but, and so I want you to read this. Verse 4 But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. Verse 5, but one of his own officials will become more powerful than he and will rule his kingdom. Verse 6, but she will lose her influence over him and so will her father. She will be abandoned along with her supporters. Verse 11, but his success will be short-lived. Verse 14, but they will not succeed. Verse 17, but they will fail. Verse 18, they'll retreat in shame, retreat to their fortress, but they will stumble and fall to be seen no more. Verse 20, but he will die. Verse 25 and 26, but his own household will cause his downfall and his army will be swept away. Are you catching a theme yet? Yes or no? I'll go do it again. If you, if you need me to redo that, I can do it again. No, we won't do it again. But listen, every time where man sets their plans and their agendas, there's a but that comes their way that happens to them. And the, it's all summarized in verse 27 where it says that, that it gives us great insight. Seeking nothing but each other's harm, these kings will plot against each other at the conference table, attempting to deceive each other. But it will make no difference, for the end will come at the appointed time. You see, and then the worst of these kings that's going to come in in the end of Daniel chapter 11, listen to what it says, and to see if you don't catch this theme of pride that has happened in Daniel and happened again and again. Uh, And so Daniel 11.36 says this, The king will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors, for the God loved by women, or for any other god. He will boast that he is greater than them all. Friends, how many of you know that this guy here could have used a history lesson? That if he could have just learned from the mistakes of others that had gone before him, maybe he would have realized to lower himself, to to humble himself, to bow his knee to the God above all gods, to the creator, and say, you know what, I'm going to do it your way instead of my way because I know my way ends up, just as we read in these scriptures, broken, with a loss of influence, abandoned, dying alone. And so this guy in verse 45, it says this about the... I skipped ahead. Here we go. Verse 45. Here we go. But while he is there, his time will suddenly run out, and no one will be there to help him. You see, there's this big narrative in the book of Daniel that we've been following, the story of these kingdoms. And yet, when we talk about a kingdom, it's easy for us to think about it being a far, far off place and other people suffering for their choices. And yeah, if they just, you know what, if they could have just dropped their pride a little bit, If they could have humbled themselves, none of that stuff would have happened. 
If they could have lowered themselves and, you know, admitted that God rules and reigns over them, it could have been good, like Nebuchadnezzar. It's easy to project that off of ourselves and not look at what that means for us internally here today. Because just as easy as it was for each of those kings to allow pride to creep up into their heart and think of themselves as better than others and even better than God, it's easy for us, for us in this room here today to allow pride to creep into our heart so that we think that we matter more than our neighbor or that our life is more valuable or that other people are less than us or that we don't even need God because we have it all figured out on our own. And there's a warning here in Daniel saying, listen, if you let pride come in or if you put all of your hope in these kingdoms, they're going to fall. And if you put your hope in yourself, you're not going to be able to do it on your own either. You're going to fail. And so the second thing, or I just want to highlight here too, actually, before we move on, this contrasts God's way. Pride contrasts God's way. When you look at 1 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, and he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And so our hope today is found in the fact that if we can humble ourselves, we're united with Christ, and he's wisdom on our behalf, and we can take joy in the fact that, you know what, I don't have to elevate myself to be something. I can admit, I was nothing before Jesus. Second thing we want to talk about today is, one, you might not like that much, but we got to talk about it. There's going to be difficult times. Even in the life of faith, when we come to, to Christ, we're promised that we no longer have to live this life alone. We live it with Jesus and we live it with our church family, but there's not ever a promise that it will not be difficult for us at times. In Daniel, the, it's, it's drawn out here in chapter 11, verses 32 through 36. It's talking about one of the kings to come, and it says he'll flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and they'll resist him. Wise leaders will give instruction to many, but these teachers will die by fire and sword or they'll be jailed and robbed. During these persecutions, little help will arrive and many who join them will not be sincere. And some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. In this way, they'll be refined and cleansed and made pure until the end, the point of time that's still to come. You see, this, this isn't just an Old Testament thought. This isn't something that just exists in, in Daniel's day, but you can go to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 when it lists the exploits of the people of faith, the people who know that their God will be mighty and the things that they did. And in Hebrews eleven thirty three, 33, it says, by faith, these people, they overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. 
Women received their loved ones back from the dead. This is exciting stuff. And then, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised them. Friends, there will be difficult times. There's going to be difficult times in our road. We can't be surprised when difficulty comes our way. Even Jesus himself in John chapter 15, 18 through 20 said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world. So if it hates you, remember what I told you. A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute, persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. So I don't mean that all to be doom and gloom. We can look at that and go, oh man, where's my get out of jail free card, pastor? Listen, here's the deal. When we encounter times of persecution in scripture, times of difficulty, and when we're looking at the book of Daniel, we have to remember that there is a purpose to the season of it. There's a purpose to that moment, that those moments where you're getting, you might feel betrayed, you might feel like stabbed in the back, you might feel like people have falsely accused you of things, you might be having a difficult time at work, you might be having a difficult time in your family, you might be just sitting there in the valley alone wondering, God, do you see me here and friends, let me tell you that God has a purpose in it. That moment where you're going through the difficulty, none of that stuff defines you. It refines you. It causes you to lean into God, to press into his presence, to get on your knees and say, God, I need more of you because I don't have enough to get through this. I don't know how to do it on my, my own, but I'm going to trust while I'm here in this valley that you see me, that you're with me, and that you're going to guide me through it. It's God's intention to refine us to purify us so that when we encounter that difficult season, we can do like it says in the book of James where it says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for, for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. You know, I, I don't know how many of you in this room, you drink tea. Any tea drinkers in the house anywhere across our campuses? All right. I know a couple things about tea. One of them is that when it's in the cupboard, you don't really know how good it is. You can take it, open your cupboard, and you can open the, the box that it comes in, and you still don't know what's really inside of it. But the minute that you put that bag of tea in a cup of really hot water, you find out everything that's inside of it and the aroma of it, and the taste of it, it fills the room. Friends, I'm gonna tell you this, there's gonna be a time in your life where you are squeezed, and where you feel like you're in the cup of hot water, and eventually everything that's on the inside of you is gonna come out. The scripture teaches us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth 
speaks. What's inside of us is going to come out. Pastor Mark was sharing at our prayer service on Wednesday night, and he quoted Shirley Denya as our founding pastor's wife. And I don't know Shirley super well, but I know one thing is that when Shirley says stuff, you pay attention to it, you listen to it, you write it down, and you probably go back to it. Shirley, he quoted Shirley, and he said, she says that you always find out what's inside of a cup when it gets tipped over. Friends, I know that to be true. I have three daughters. Cups get tipped over in our house. Sometimes it's milk. Sometimes it's like a, a colored drink on a carpet. And it's the best day when it's just water. Point of it is, what's inside of us is going to come out, and we're going to find out what's inside of us when we go through the difficult season. And my prayer and my hope for us is that we learn this today and that we get humble before God and we say, God, I need you to fill me because I know that there will be a day coming that's going to be difficult for me. That we get humble before God and we bend our knee to him and we say, God, you are the king of my life, not me. Would you come, please come and breathe the breath of life into me? God, would you come every day and fill me up fresh and anew. And that way, when we go through these seasons of trial, when we go through these seasons of difficulty, when we're getting squeezed, the only thing that comes out of it is the Holy Spirit. And the people around us go, there's something about that. How are they able to go through this difficult thing that I'm going through, that I've gone through, and they're joyful. It's because God is inside of us, and when we get pushed on every side, people see the image of God inside of us. It reminds me of, well, you could just look at any great character throughout the scriptures and realize thou went through difficult times. It reminds me of one of the early church fathers and the hope that we have and we see throughout Daniel is that God is faithful to us in the difficult seasons. He doesn't forget about us. He's got a plan for us in the midst of it. And I think one of our early church fathers, Polycarp, uh, he has this really great story. He was such a man of God and he was old in his age and it came about at that time where they were persecuting people of faith and they brought him into the Colosseum, and they put him on trial before the crowd, and they planned to burn him alive. And they said, they, they felt compassion for him, though, because he was so kind and he was so tenderhearted. And they said, Polycarp, would you please just abandon this God of yours? Would you please just admit he doesn't exist? Would you, we don't want to do this to you. Would, you. would you please throw that away? And this old man, Polycarp, looked at his accusers, and he just said, 70 plus years, he's been faithful to me. Why would I choose to be unfaithful to him today? Friends, God is faithful to us in the midst of the difficult season. Third thing I want to tell you today as we read through Daniel 11 and 12, as you're reading through it, is that the hope lies beyond the signs. I'm going to read Daniel 12, 7 through 10. It says, the man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, it will go on for a time, times and a half. And when the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will this finally end, my Lord? You see, throughout history... There's been different people in different periods of time that have looked at Daniel 11 and 12 and said, this must be the time. This has got to be the time. Pastor Nathan talked about it a couple weeks ago back in 1987, fear-filled people in the book, 88 Reasons Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988 came out. Now you can only buy it on Amazon for like $200 used. Um, 
There's times where in 400 some BC, Alexander the Great came through and people said, this is it. This is what the prophet Daniel talked about. Here it comes. It wasn't then. Then you have this guy, the Syrian king in like 160 BC during the Maccabean time and, and, and people are going, hey, this guy Antiochus, this is the one. This is the, this is the dude it's talking about. It's about to happen. People get ready. And it didn't happen. It wasn't the end of days. And then after Jesus, when the Roman emperors came in and they burned Jerusalem, people are going, for sure, this is it. This is the time. Look at the signs. And it wasn't it. There's people in our day who continue to perpetuate this. that They know the time, the precise time that is going to happen. And it makes me laugh in a way, and I'm going to tell you why. I hope I don't offend you. Daniel is the guy who received this vision. He saw it. He has so much wisdom that we've learned about. And what did he say? He said, I didn't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand what this means. And there's sometimes that we get so caught up in the signs and trying to name the exact place and time that we lose sight of the one that the signs point to, who is Jesus. We have some signs on the stage today. Now, when I drive, I, am a, I like to think I'm a patient driver, but I have internal frustration. How many of you know when you come up to a stop sign and there's a car in front of you and they stop and they stay stopped? It's just frustrating. And, and so what happens first in my heart is I go through this moment of like, I wish there was a way I could tell them that they don't have to stay there. And then I start going, I, mean, I don't want to sit behind this car forever. Maybe I'll just give them a gentle suggestion with my horn. And you have to understand something about me. I don't use my horn out of anger. I use my horn to just gently help people on the road. Like, <laughs> you don't have to stay stopped at the stop sign. This, I want to just help them. Like, this, this isn't like a permanent stop. It's not like it's there and then you got to sit there. And so I reach for my horn and my wife reaches over and goes, honey, you have your Emmanuel decal on the back of your car. <laughs> and I'm thinking, but all the people behind me are going to come to Emmanuel then because they're going to be grateful. Um, <laughs> here's the thing with signs. <clears throat> signs are guides for us. They point us where we're supposed to be going. They give us direction of what we're supposed to do. We know when we come to a stop sign, we're not supposed to throw the car into park and just chill out there for a long time. It doesn't mean like stop forever. It's a temporary thing. Uh, you look at some of these other ones, no through traffic, dead end. We know when you come up to one of those signs, you don't just park your car at that and examine it. I'm going to tell my friends about this sign. It's a really good sign. It's a cool sign. I'm going to tell everybody about it. No, we don't do that. We go, hey, no through traffic, dead end. I made a wrong turn. I need to turn around and get up on out of here. Or this one, one way. Uh, I went to school in Minneapolis uh, for college, and there's one-way streets there. And when you go down a one-way street the wrong way, do you know what you don't do? You don't just park your car. You don't go, hey, I'm going to chill out, look at this sign. Matter of fact, I'm going to call up some of my buddies from church, and I'm going to make a small group, and we can meet on Tuesday nights, and we can just talk about this one-way sign. It's so fascinating. Friends, we don't get so caught up in the sign that we miss the point what they're about. All of the signs point to Jesus. All of the signs are pointing us the way which we should go. When we're going down the interstate and the sign says, 
Minneapolis, 32 miles, we celebrate because we're almost there. We celebrate because the sign's giving us direction of where we're supposed to go. And if we care more about being right about the precise time than we care about the condition of people's souls and them hearing the good news of Jesus, we've got it all wrong. Friends, the signs point to Jesus. As we've said many times during this series, we want to be on the welcoming committee of him coming back. We don't need to be on the planning committee. We don't want to be there the day he comes back and go, oh, but Jesus, I actually had you coming. I had you on my calendar coming back two months from today. Jesus does not need your permission to return. And if you care more about getting the exact time right, and if you want to expedite that so we can come quicker, more than you care about the souls around you and the people that need to hear the message before he comes back, you're probably practicing theological idolatry. I'm going to leave it there. Point is, we need to stay on mission. We get worked up about the second coming and when exactly it happens, but we need to remember that he already came one time. He already purchased the victory. He's already set us free and started to establish his kingdom, and we celebrate looking forward to the day, Jesus, take me home, whenever it is. You see, in Jesus' day, people were constantly looking for a sign, trying to figure out if he was the one or not, and he said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. What did that mean? Jonah in the Old Testament, he was caught up in the stomach of a whale for three days, probably presumed dead, and all of a sudden one day he was spit out up onto shore alive, and Jonah then preached good news to this uh, rebellious, heathen, wicked nation, and they repented from their sins, and they came to faith. Jesus was saying, look, that happened with Jonah, but for me, I'm going to go into the grave for three days, and I'm going to come out alive, and I'm going to preach good news and equip other people to preach good news to people who are heathens, who are far off, who are distant, who are enemies of God, and they're going to come home and be a part of the kingdom. Friends, Jesus is the thing that everything points to. So we take this away from it with the signs. What are the signs of the end? In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end. Then many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. How many of you know people around you who are really, really busy? How many of you have seen knowledge just increase exponentially in the last, last years? Friends, we live in this day and age where we're running to and fro, busying ourselves every day with so much stuff that when there's so much information coming in that we don't have any space, we don't have any margin for God to speak to us. And so people end up getting so full of themselves, full of pride that they know everything. They don't need anybody to tell them what to do. Friends, we're in this day where Jesus could come back at any point. And so the, the thing that we have, though, is confidence. How do we have confidence in a day and age like today? We have confidence because we know the ending of the story. We know what happens next. You see, Daniel chapter 12 gives this really great foreshadowing. He said, starting in verse 1, At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise, and then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose names is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. 
Praise the Lord. There's hope. This is the first time in the scriptures that we see foreshadowing of resurrection language. Before this, there's been people that have been resuscitated, that have been brought back to life, but then they died again. This is the first time we look and can look at the hope that we have in the end of being resurrected to live eternally with Jesus. You see, the very last verse of Daniel is a verse for us today. As for you, go your way until the end. You'll rest And then at the end of days, you'll rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. I want to talk to you about that inheritance and what that is today. You see, Daniel Daniel was thrown into a pit of presumed death full of lions overnight. Rooftop sealed. And yet they opened, opened it up in the morning and there he was alive and the lions were tamed. Jesus went into the grave for three days. And he rose to life. And when he was brought back to life, he invited us into that resurrection inheritance. Ephesians 1 uh, highlights the fact that when we are united with Christ, we receive his inheritance. Christ has purchased us and paid a great price for us. You see, God looked at humanity. He saw the state of humanity. He saw the plight that we were in. In Daniel, you see men and women tried to go their own way apart from God. They tried to establish themselves as gods. They tried to be priests and tell people which God that they should worship. They tried to be prophets acting as if they could mediate between the people and the God that they chose that day. You see, Jesus saw the pridefulness of humanity And as we read in Daniel, the ultimate loneliness, abandonment, failure, and death that it brought. And so God the Father sent his son Jesus, and Jesus lowered himself. You see, because we were full of pride and we couldn't humble ourselves, Jesus humbled himself for us. He descended heaven, came to earth in the form of a humble man, and he lived a life of perfection. And in the greatest act ever, He took our death upon himself so that he could give us his life. He took our abandonment upon himself so that he could adopt us as sons and daughters. He took our defeat and our failure upon himself so that he could give us victory. He did all of that for us so that we could receive in his eternal inheritance. He took our sin and our mess and he made it clean and gave us his right standing with God the Father. Jesus took his perfection and put it over us. You see, Jesus came to be the ultimate priest who made the ultimate sacrifice for us for all of our sins. He came to be the ultimate prophet, the one that all the other prophets pointed to so that he could be as Timothy teaches us in uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 that there's one mediator between God and man who can reconcile God and humanity, that the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus became the ultimate king who we can look to earthly kingdoms, but friends are gonna come and they're gonna go, but there is a kingdom that is coming that's going to be established where Jesus will come and he will rule and reign for all eternity and he's inviting us to be a part of it. Nobody has to be excluded. That's the good news of the gospel. So today I'm gonna invite you to stand up. I wanna give you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. You see, it could be that you're caught up in a difficult time today. You're going through that season of 
uncertainty, this season of feels like you're being tested by the fire. You know, in Daniel, earlier on in this series, we talked about the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were thrown into a fiery furnace. And can I share a pet peeve of mine with you? I don't like it that we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because those are their slave names. You see, God gave them names at their birth that represented his image inside of them. And there are times where we feel like we're thrown into a fire. And I want to remind you what their names in Hebrew meant. Hananiah means God favors, God is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. Azariah means God helps and God protects. If you, if you could have picked three people to throw into a furnace, you probably picked the wrong three. Friends, let that be said of you too. Be strong in the Lord. Today, there's people in this room who you've, you've never made a decision in your heart to make Jesus the king of your heart. And if you're being really honest today, you'd, you'd admit that you set yourself up as the king or queen of your heart. You've been doing things your own way. And maybe already you've felt some of those feelings of isolation or loneliness or abandonment or just a spiritual emptiness. Friends, God wants to invite you today to humbly bow your knee before him, to invite him to be the king of your heart, so he could show you the way, that he could forgive you, that he could give you victory, that he could adopt you. If you're here in this room and you say, you know what, I need to do that. I need to make Jesus the king of my heart. Would you put your hand up with me today? I wanna to pray for you. You've never made him the king of your life before, but you need to today. Put your hand up, I wanna pray with you. Across all of our campuses, you can just lift your hands. I wanna lead you in a prayer. Romans teaches us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I wanna lead you in a prayer that would do just that. Would you repeat after me today? Heavenly Father, you are good. You're trustworthy in difficult times. I surrender my life to you. I'm sorry for going my own way. Please forgive me for my sins. I give you the throne of my heart. You are my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, there's people... For the believers in the room today, I feel very strongly that God wants to deal with pride in the house. It's easy as a person of faith to allow pride to creep back in and rear its ugly head inside of us. And I feel like God today is gonna call us to humility. And one of the reasons we're typically afraid of humbling ourselves, you know, maybe we've done wrong to one of our family members, maybe we've done wrong to somebody at work, but our pride is keeping us from making it right. A lot of times we allow that pride to, to creep in and we don't wanna deal with it because we're afraid of, hey, if I acknowledge my wrong, I'm gonna be like a slave to that person then after that, because they're gonna know I'm flawed. They already know you're flawed. They already know you messed up. God already knows. 
humility actually sets you free because you don't have to carry the wrong anymore. You don't have to carry the pride anymore. And if you just let it go today, I believe God has freedom in this room for you. God wants to set you free today. I'm gonna invite our prayer teams to come to the front. And we're gonna sing a song in just a, in just a moment. And I wanna encourage you that during this song, if you feel the Lord's prompting, Maybe you need as a symbolic gesture to kneel before the Lord today, again saying, God, I bend my knee to you, I surrender to you. Maybe you feel like you can't do it alone. Maybe you need help. We'd love to come alongside of you and pray with you today that God would help you. Maybe you want to come towards the front in an act of humility before the Lord and just pray on your own and say, God, take my pride. I surrender to you once again today.